Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is TalkSport Daily. Hello, happy Thursday and welcome to another, yeah, another Andy Goldstein's TalkSport Daily podcast. With me, your host with the most hair and suntan and other things that I've, well, that's it actually, just the hair and the suntan. Even one Ray Winston would be proud of, although he would of course call it the old pot and pan sound, got a pot and pan for you. I don't know why he'd be giving someone to, anyway, what a podcast we've got coming up and it begins with Darren Bent. He was on The Breakfast Show with the wonderful Laura Woods, and he was looking back at the good old times. There's a, there's an on this day, 2007, there's a photo going around. Um, Jonas Kabul, Gareth Bale, Darren Bent. Me in the background somewhere. All the, no, 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 you, in the photo that I saw, you're in the forefront, yeah. actually. Gareth Bale's behind you, where he should be. Because, you know, mm. you were really the star of the show. And all signing on the same day, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, obviously, we... we Obviously, obviously, our careers went all completely different directions. I mean, Gareth Bowles went from absolute strength to strength. Um, but it was it was a great day. I remember it being the longest medical, though, in history. I remember getting there. I think I had to get to the training ground at 8 a.m. I didn't get back in my house till, I think, 11 o'clock at night because I had to go for all the tests, screening, the heart tests, everything. Do you know what I mean? It was long. And it was all across London. It wasn't even in one place. It was different hospitals, different places. And it was a good day, though. I really enjoyed it. And I think because they spent a lot of money on me, Spurs, which is why the medical took so long. Like, as I said, it was such a long time, 8am to 11pm at night. So, obviously, they went through all the tests. But then I've seen the other side of it where I went to Aston Villa and it was in the January window and Gerald Houllier was desperate to get the deal through. That didn't even do a medical. <laughs> he put, I had a couple of tests yeah. in, in the in the doctor's room for about ten what, minutes. Touch your touch touch your toes. Touch your toes. You touch your knees. You're, you're good <laughs> to go. Couple couple stretches, couple tests, and that honestly, it must have lasted about fifteen minutes, and he was like, right, you're good to go out to training. Really? Yeah, because he was that desperate to just get the the deal done. Wow. We were um, talking about uh, Gareth Bale this morning, actually, because there was a, a, an interview that he did um, last night, yesterday. It was all over the news as well, where he basically said that all the criticism that he comes under um, for Real Madrid fans and from the media in general mm. in Spain actually quite hurt his confidence. He was saying the thing that, that, that surprised him, and I suppose you, maybe both of you could, could relate to this, is that he could have a terrible game, score a goal, and everyone will say what a brilliant game he had. All the opposite could happen. Doesn't score a goal, but has a brilliant game. And because he hasn't scored a goal, he gets criticised for that as well. I mean, first of all, Bale, um, what a guy. I mean, I've got so much respect for him about what he's been through. I mean, when I first time, you spoke about it there, when I first time with him at Spurs, like, he, 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 you could saw the raw talent was there. Like, mm. he, he wasn't a left-back, even though when he came to Spurs, they signed him as a left-back. He had a very good season the season before. I think he scored, like, 10 free kicks or something, some kind of record in the championship. He was brilliant. But you could always see the ability was there. And he always had this annoying knack where he's left-footed 
and you, you go, right, you're defending against him, and you go, right, I'm going to show him down the line. And even though you go, I know he's going to go there, you still couldn't stop it. Like, because he, he believes in his ability, and he had good speed, good technique, and he was quality. So obviously he had a tough time at first when he was at Spurs with Harry. Obviously Harry didn't really rate him. He wasn't really playing, and he had that awful record where he didn't win a game for Spurs for like over a year. Every time he played, he didn't win. But then to go through what he went through and then to turn into the player that he is today, obviously he's won four Champions Leagues, gets hammered by the Real Madrid fans, they attack his car, and for him to still be there, and I know he said that it hurts him, but you've got to say, take your hat off to him, because as mm -hmm. I said, he scored in what, two Champions League finals, Atletico, he basically won it for them against Liverpool with that un goal. unbelievable goal that people seem <laughs> to just kind of forget about. And I just think for him to still be at Real Madrid, take that matter stick, I know he says it hurts him, but he must have broad shoulders, because I know a lot of players that would have crumbled for a lot less... <laughs> Staying with the wonderful Lawwoods on The Breakfast Show and they had the German football journalist Patrick Berger on analysing players that run really fast and even faster than really fast. Have a listen. Alfonso Davis, I mean, it, he's just brilliant, isn't he? The way that there's there's one clip that is doing the rounds where he basically sprints back from the halfway line to get in between the goalkeeper and Erlen Harling and, and basically cause all sorts of problems. He's so rapid. Yeah, he is. He is obviously. Uh, I think he ran about uh, uh, three, three, five uh, meters per hour yesterday. It was a, a crazy stat. Um, yeah, he's he's one of the best of the best players at, at Bayern Munich. He's so young. He's 19 years old. Uh, it was a very, very good decision uh, of the of the Bayern guys uh, to extend the contract uh, during to, uh, the Corona uh, break until 20, uh, 25, I think. Um, and yeah, he, he's, he's, he has so much, uh, so much uh, speed, good effort, uh, pretty much energy on the on the pitch. Um, yeah, and, and this is what Thomas Müller said. He's he's our Bavarian road runner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he is. He's um, very very good. Patrick, there's a stat that I think people in England will be quite interested to hear because when we're talking about home advantage, it feels like at the moment home advantage isn't really an advantage at all without fans in it. So home teams in the Bundesliga have only won four. 14% of the games behind closed doors so far. So here it is. There's 22 games so far that have been played and 30% um, has slumped. So basically the success that was that you would get on home soil has dropped by 30% now. Um, how significant do you think that is? Yeah, I think it, it is very, very significant. Uh, significant. As, as you said, that there are just, I think, three wins, right, in the, mm. in the Bundesliga. I think BVB Schalke 4-0, Hertha, Hertha Union 4-0 and I think Bayern won won against uh, Frankfurt. Um, yeah, I think the the advantage it, it's gone now um, without without the fans. I think it's a big big mental thing to have your own fans in your back to to uh, to feel this passion, this energy, to to know maybe when you make a mistake there are there are yeah there are some guys behind you who um, who supports you and um, yeah I think this home home advantage um, yeah. It's missing. I spoke a lot to some, some some managers in the Bundesliga, and they also said this that uh, it doesn't matter if you're playing in Dortmund or in Munich. It's yeah, it's still the, the same. Maybe okay, you know, it's it's like your own dressing room, your own seat, but uh, as a player, but yeah. yeah, it's just a small small thing. The wonderful Teddy Sheringham was on talking about Roy Keane and Paul Pogba. When things weren't going right in our time, Roy Keane put things right. He would drive our team on. He would dig deep. He would make sure that we had a say in, the, in every game that we played in because of his desire. And I think when you look at Paul Pogba, does he have the same mentality? Yes, he might be a talented boy, 
But does he really dig deep? Does he get Manchester United out of the mire when 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 uh, the the going gets tough? And for me, the answers are no. He gives off the wrong uh, vibe as a Manchester United player. Yes, it's good to be cocky and arrogant at the right times. Uh, I would say Dwight York. I'd mentioned him earlier. He had that as well. Big smile on his face and cocky and arrogant. But he had a desire to do things right as well uh, at the right times. And I, and I think you've got to have that. And I don't think Paul Pogba gives you that. Um, and I think he would be one that, that would need to, to go so that you can uh, get someone else in with the right mentality and the right desire and the Manchester United way to, to drive your team on to make sure that, that you get out of the position that you're in and, and move the club forward. Now, of course, the mid-morning show features Jim White and Natalie Sawyer. Trevor Sinclair alongside. One of their guests was Jim White, not the snooker player. Hold on. The journalist, Jim White. And he was taking a trip down memory lane. And he was also talking about Hearts, a club that, in his opinion, should stay in the Scottish top flight. Do you know what is so sad, Natalie? Trevor, I, I can remember, I mean, uh, oh my God, it's a long, long time ago, but 1975-76, I did a year in Edinburgh as a student. Uh, and I lived through there and I went to Hearts games regularly and this was when uh, Trevor Hearts were in Europe Hearts are a great club Hearts and Hibs are great clubs and uh, to see this situation that they find themselves in now David mentioned a very good point there about the pooling power of the two Edinburgh clubs Mm -hmm. in spite of this chaos that's going on Natalie Hearts fans have snapped up more than 4,000 season tickets for next season in spite of this uncertainty. So it shows the loyalty, Trevor. I mean, Hearts in Europe was a tremendous night at Tynecastle. And of course, we don't see these nights now. Hearts are a club that needs to be in the top flight. They need to be a prominent Scottish club. And unfortunately, at the moment, they're in a revolving door and nobody knows what way they're going. This is turmoil. I mean, to be honest, Trevor, we need the bigger clubs in Scotland, in my view, all to be in the same division. Uh, David mentioned that, you know, about the pulling power of Hearts fans away from home. But they've all got to be playing in the top flight because Hearts Rangers is a big fixture. Hearts Celtic's a big fixture. Aberdeen yeah. Hearts is a big fixture. You need them playing each other. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big club up there um, and you have to feel a bit of empathy for Ambrudge. You know, they had nine games to go, that's yeah. 27 points. They believe they had a chance of um, getting themselves out of that situation um, with a good push at the end of the season. They didn't get that opportunity. Uh, they've got every right to feel aggrieved. Uh, I'm not sure uh, two extra teams is going to be the way forward, uh, but there's got to be a viable option um, to keep them in the league because I think the league needs them as much as they need the league. Exactly, good point. I mean, the, the, the table doesn't lie, Natalie, although they might have found a way out of it. They could have mm. found a way out of it. Daniel yeah, Sandel was telling me that on the, on the phone the other day. Uh, the table doesn't lie, but I, I would think the authorities have got to give, give it every chance to keep the, the, the top clubs playing each other. It has to be the way. Well, yeah, I, and look, I think it's really unfortunate what's happened to Hearts uh, the, to be relegated when there were plenty of points still to play for. Um, yeah. I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it. to an extent. I And I don't want to offend Celtic fans, but I don't necessarily agree that Celtic should have been given the title either when there were points still to be played for. But as it is... Whoa, that, whoa, no, whoa. no, no, no. Let me just say... No, I just agree that across the, the board. Gareth McCauley route? No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. I'm not saying he's been, they've been handed the title. Of course, Celtic were going to win the title, but mathematically, they hadn't won the title. That's right. That's just my argument. And I would say the same for Liverpool. I'd say the same for any club in their position. Play it to conclusion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that's how I see it. Yeah. But 
I, I think it's really hard and harsh on hearts to be relegated when they could, they could have got themselves out of trouble. And the problem with all of this, that you, every club can come up with a, a new solution to this problem, but it will all be about self-interest at the end of the day. And championship clubs will be looking at the possibility of hearts coming into their league and thinking, as David just pointed out, that when fans get back to going into stadiums, they could have a massive support coming to their stadiums from Hearts, yeah. uh, which will be, be bringing lots of money into their into their revenues. So why on earth would they vote for something like this? Unfortunately, a lot of football is self-interest at the moment. Now for one o'clock on TalkSport, you can hear Hawksby and Jacobs, or Paul and Andy, as I know very well, actually. Very, very well. All right, Paul. All right. All right, Andy. I said all right, Andy. I said all right. Oh, he can't hear me. Anyway, they had James Savundron talking about the latest news from the return, hopefully, fingers crossed, of the Premier League. It was a big vote today and for players to come back into full training is, is such a big step, although it's not quite full training as, as players will know it because there's so many measures and, and risk assessment that are still in place to make sure that you try and reduce the risk of transmission. But tomorrow, as you say, there's a massive meeting going on. There's so many things that need to be discussed, such as neutral stadiums, the rebates, because we hear that clubs are reportedly having to pay back money each week to the broadcasters, fixture scheduling and, of course, the curtailment as well. And in terms of dates, what Richard Masters said to us, the Premier League CEO said to us last week, was that once they've got players back in this particular phase of training, then they'll liaise with players and managers to work out exactly how long they need. Now, this is where I expect there could be a bit of a disagreement because the Premier League will want to come back as soon as possible. They're still ideally looking at the 12th of June. I'm not sure that'll be the case. It's more likely to be the 19th of June, but managers will argue they want as much time as possible with their players to get them in peak condition. So I think the managers will be looking towards something towards the end of June. So there's going to have to be compromise from both parties. And staying with Paul and Andy, with TV negotiations still unresolved, John Cross from The Mirror was on talking about TV companies and now they want an absolute fortune back from the broadcast revenue. If there was one thing that I think is still a bit of a, uh, a moot point is is that restart date because I think it's, it, it's clear that the Premier League has so far said that we're going to stick to June the 12th as our preferred start date. Uh, my, my impression on that is perhaps that that is them saying, well, if we go if we go really early, we'll perhaps compromise by a week, and that'll be the 19th. Whereas I actually think that, that the managers are making it pretty clear that they think that the time that we've got now in in full scale, um, you know, contact training uh, to come back in in what less than three weeks for, for that restart on on June the 12th is, is unrealistic as they see it. And therefore, they would, um, you know, would much rather sort of kind of push back. Um, bearing in mind, we've had, you know, kind of ten weeks off. The best part of it, you know, nearly getting on for three months. Some of the players are kind of by the time they come back, um, they want to sort of push back until about June the 26th to, to make sure that kind of their match fit, their, their match sharpness. It's, it's such a difference, isn't it, guys, between being mm. physically fit and being match sharp, match ready. And that's the point. They don't want a kind of a string of kind of muscle pulls, hamstring tweaks. And I, I gather a few clubs have already, you know, reported back a kind of, you know, a few muscle tweaks and a few soft tissue injuries already. Right. So they just want to be cautious. You know, a lot of these managers are so loyal to their players. They treat them like they're sort of kind of their babies, their children. And they're basically, you know, it's a, it, they feel that personal responsibility so much that they want the players to be right and ready. 
Now, time to hear from the ginger fellow on drive, that's Adrian Dunn, and alongside him, of course, that cricketer, Darren Goff. They were joined by Sam Matterface, and they were talking about whether or not we should have fake noises at football matches. I don't mean like fake noises from players, like, oh, give us a ball, and he didn't actually say that. I'm talking about the crowd. You know what I'm talking about. Bundesliga games broadcast in the USA have had fake crowd noise. Uh, a sound engineer is uh, choosing when to fire off cheering or singing or booing. So it could it happen here? I'll update you on the poll on Twitter. Look, I'm not against it, but my instincts are very much, no, let's not do that. Um, I think our job is to sort of bring the coverage of the event, and we should do that with authenticity without embellishing it. Um, I think it's a unique set of circumstances. I think it actually provides us with a little window into what it's like to be on the pitch because we're getting a, a, a bit closer to the, some of the language that's used, but also some of the... the, the you, you, I think you get a, a real depiction of who the leaders are and who the talkers are in the, in the teams from just hearing what the players and the officials mm. are saying. Uh, but yeah. you know, at the, at the same time, Adrian, I think, you know, we, we want to entertain our audience and, we, you know, we value our listeners and our, our listeners' op- uh, opinions. And if, if there was a sufficient demand for it and we felt as if we could do it in a sensible way, I'm sure our tech bods would look into it. But my initial thought is I think it would sort of – I think it would, it would come across as fabricated and mm. therefore hashtag fake noise. And last but by no means least, of course, it's the best bits of my show. Andy Goldstein Sports Bar, Monday to Thursday from 10pm. So pin back your lug holes and have a listen to what happened on last night's show. Shall we go over to Beaky? Because I'm being told in Definitely. my ear that we are Definitely. moments away from kickoff in the last quarter final of the Sports Bar Cup. There we go. You can hear the crowd. All, I think there's over 70,000 in there this uh, evening to see the Biscuit game. 11 take on... The aftershave 11, one of the favourites for the tournament, I'll have you know as well. Watching for TalkSport with all the latest team news is Graham Beecroft. Yes, it's the fourth quarterfinal of the Sports Bar Cup, matching the aftershave splashing honours against the Biscuit Dunkers. For the sake of simplicity, we'll just call them the aftershave 11 and the Biscuit 11. Uh, Beaky, listen, we're all very excited about this one for so many reasons. Aftershave are one of the favourites, if not the favourites. Their team looks fantastic from Isimiyaki into back in the middle of the park to high karate up top. I'm just wondering, I was reading earlier on this afternoon, the game plan for Biscuit has to be that Chocolate Finger has to get in behind, doesn't he? Well, yeah, that's a, you know, if they can, the problem is, the problem is that Aftershave are so good and they're such a, a good team at pressing. Well, that's it for another podcast. Think good work, everyone. Of course, you can download previous ones or future ones from Acast, Spotify, or Apple Pods. I'll be back tonight for more of the same, 10pm, alongside that fellow with the massive face, Jason Cundy. So in the meantime, have a good day, keep your distance, and above all, be safe, everyone. Be safe. That was a podcast from Talk Sport.